1: truths God is the creator of everything yes everything earth and sky what is below and what is beyond all that we see moving and even those things. God created it all and we believe that God created humans all of us and we are all created equal in the sight of God That Jesus that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and was born of a virgin we believe that he suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified died and was burned but we believe that was not the end we believe he rose again and when ascended to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. We believe that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And we believe that there is forgiveness for our sins through Jesus. We believe each of us to live a life worthy of His name. A life of sacrifice. is this life? It's a life of love and truth and grace. A life of actions as much as words. A life that is marked by His life. And we believe that God is here with us now. Because we are His church. And this is
2: Well, welcome. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you've chosen to make worshiping with us part of your Easter celebration. want well, to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever. I also want to welcome all of those in Prescott Valley today. So grateful to have you with us this morning. Well, today I have a very simple task, okay? So my job is really simple. I just want to remind you of why it is that we celebrate Easter. So I actually told our staff a couple of weeks ago, our jobs in ministry is simply reminding people of things that they already know. Like most of the time, I just tell people things that they already have been told. When I visit a family in the hospital or in hospice care, rarely do I ever tell them anything new. I just remind them of the truths that they already believe. I'm meeting with a couple who's struggling in their marriage, I have no great wisdom for them that they've never heard before. I just remind them of some of the things that they already know to be true. And that isn't just true of pastors. It's true of all educators of any sort. If you're a teacher at all, if you coach baseball or or anything else, if you if you train employees at work, if you give piano lessons or guitar lessons, if you're a dentist or if you're a financial advisor, or you're just trying to raise decent little human beings, then your job, you just tell them the same things over and over and over. You tell them, hey, you keep your feet uh Shoulder whipped apart. and You put your hands here and your elbow up or your hands down here. You sit up straight and your fingers out. Like you're just telling them over and over again the same things. Keep your eyes on the ball. You. This is what you say when the customer comes in. Floss more than twice a year. <laughs> If you want to have money when you're older, you got to spend less than you make. If you want to be in shape, you got to eat less and exercise more. You need to put the toilet seat up when you go and down, right? Like this. It's just we just say the same things over and over and over. Again, it's it's almost never anything new. And for the love of all things holy, just say please and thank you, right? That's so what we do. So the reality is more often than not, the best teachers in the area of life just keep reminding us of the fundamentals. They just tell us the same things again and again because the fundamentals are what are most important. So again, my job today is really simple. I just want to remind you of the fundamentals of our if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's where we're going to be today. In this book of the Bible, uh, it's Paul, the Apostle Paul had went to a city called Corinth and he shared the gospel there for the very first time. They'd never heard it before. He proclaims the gospel of Jesus and they believed it and they became followers of Jesus and a church is born. And he stayed there in Corinth about 18 months teaching them about what it means to follow Jesus. Well, eventually he leaves and he has to go to other cities and plants other churches. But he keeps in touch with them, letters back to them, reminding them of what it means to follow Jesus. Okay, And he writes this letter and this letter is full of a lot of important things. But when we get to the end of the letter, which is chapter 15, is right near the end, we get to the end and I want you to see what he Last, like at the very end, he says, "I I don't want you to miss this." And here's what he says: Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stance. But he says, "Before I go." Let me remind you. I'm not telling you anything new here. This is stuff you already know. I've taught this to you a hundred times. But one more time, I want to remind you. And what does he remind them of? He says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. The one that you received, the believers, the one that you've taken your stand on, they're dedicated to it. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel. Now, if you've been around church world for very long, you probably have heard this word gospel simply means good news. That's all it means. Good news. I want to remind you some good news. And what's good news? Well, news is simply, hey, did you hear what happened? And then they go on to tell you something that was good. That's good news. Sometimes in church world, we make things too difficult. Did you remember? I want to remind you of the news that I told you Was good. So Paul wants to remind them of it. And what is it? For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now, this is really, really important. Paul says to them, what I'm about to remind you of is of first importance. Uh, Interactive sermon time. How many things in your life are important? Got one person who's playing along. A lot. (laughs) There's hopefully, PV, you're better. Like, there's a lot. You have a lot of things in your life that are important. Your marriage is important. Your kids are important. Your health is important. Your finances are important. Your grandchildren are important. Your mental well-being is important. Your jobs, your friends, your faith, your education. There's like lots of things that are important. Here's the real question. What is the first importance? Like, because here's the thing. You got a lot of things that are important. They all can't be of first importance because if everything is most important, nothing's most important. You have a hierarchy of things that are important. What is of first importance? Now, my guess is if I sent a microphone around the room today in a place like this, you would say, oh, pastor, my faith and is most important. You, For some of you, it'd be Jesus. Because you learned in Sunday school at one time that whatever the answer to the question is in church, Jesus the answer. So, Jesus. And, and again, that's easy to say in a place like this. You got up today and you took a shower and put on something pastel and you came to church. Right? It's you did that, right? Because so because, because you wanted to be here, and there's something, and so of course. Following Jesus is most important. My faith is what is most important. Loving God is what most is, what most, is of what is most important. It's easy to say that. But the reality is for, for many of us, our lives would tell a different story. Our calendars would tell a different story. Our bank statements would tell a different story. Our conversations would tell a different story. Our internet history would tell a different story. Our children would tell a different story. For us to say that Jesus is most important and then live as if he is an afterthought. And I know it's easy because I do it at times. Here's the reality. The majority of us in the room, we don't. What the gospel is. You already know that. And you don't even need to be reminded that the gospel is important. You know that too. But what you do need to be reminded of is that the gospel is of first importance. That's the reality for many of us today. So Paul reminds them, and he's reminding us the gospel is what is of first importance, the one they had received, the one which they had taken their stand. That is to be of first importance. So What is the gospel? What did he receive that he passed on? Here it is. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Hey, do you remember what I told you? The good news? Jesus died. You're like, wait, that, that doesn't sound like good news. In fact, if you walk out of here today or you got a text message today while you're in this service and somebody did you hear the news, so-and-so died? And the so-and-so was somebody that you loved and admired, someone who was in their mid-30s with their whole life seemingly in front of them, and you got that text message. You wouldn't jump up and down for joy, likely. You'd weep and run out of here because that does not sound like bad news. But Paul wants to make sure that we understand something today. And what we understand is that Jesus' death, it wasn't just meaningless, it wasn't purposeless, it wasn't accidental, it wasn't random, that Jesus died for our sins. This is what makes it good news, that he died for our sins. Now, again, let's be really honest in here today. That sounds a little weird to some of you. You're like, how does somebody dying 2,000 years before... Have anything to do with me? And that's a great question. And the answer is we all have a sin issue. Even if you're not a religious person, here's what I know about you that there are things in your life that you have done that you regret. Even if you're not religious, there are things that, given the opportunity, you would go back and undo. If given a mulligan, you'd go back and change some things because you know that there were moments in your life where you did not live up even to your own standard, where you let yourself down. Not to mention how, if you're not living up to your standard, how far down do you think we're living up from God's standard? Like, so we all have this sin issue. And scripture says that the penalty for that sin is death. Penalty of sin is it seems so harsh. That seems so harsh. And it is harsh unless, unless, hear me out, unless there is a holy God who is King of kings and Lord of lords. And in the face of this king, Instead of us choosing to submit to him as king of kings, we live in rebellion to him as king of kings. And if we choose to live in rebellion to the king of kings, there's a word for that, and it's called treason. You live in king, that is called treason. It is us declaring our independence from him and even our superiority over him. And treason is punishable by death in every nation on this globe. Anywhere where you find your in rebellion to the king, that is penalized by death. And if that's true in a world full of sinful kings, how much more true is that deserving to be the penalty for the king of kings? The penalty of sin is death is that Jesus died for our sins. He died for our treason. Nobody else could do this for you. Like, I can't die for your treason because I have treason of my own. And my death just covers my treason. It can't cover yours. You can't have children's treason because you have treason of your own. You've lived in rebellion to the king of kings. You have to pay your own penalty. You can't pay somebody else's. The only one who can pay for somebody else's is someone who doesn't have sin of their own, hasn't committed treason to the king of kings on their own. And so he died for our sins. He paid that penalty on our behalf. When we place our faith and trust and hope in him for salvation, his death pays our debt. And when we realize that, it's really easy to understand how this is good news the end of the good news. He didn't just die. He was buried. And do you know why he was buried? Because that's what you do to dead people. Again, sometimes we make this more difficult than it has to be. He died. And because the professional executioner did their job well, when he was declared dead, they took his body down and they put him in the tomb. Now, at this point in the story, Everybody agrees this is true. Religious people, non-religious people, there are scholars who are not people of faith who would agree, yes, there was Jesus and he was executed and they, because he was dead. But if this is the end of the story, it's not good news. Because if this is true, Paul says, then you're still dead in your sins. Like if this is the end of the story, it's not good news for you and me. There's another piece to this puzzle. This isn't the end of the story. The, re, the billions of people all over the world this weekend are celebrating, are gathering together to worship Jesus because he didn't just die and he wasn't just buried, but on the but that he was raised on the third day. That's why people are celebrating. This is Paul The good news, do you remember? The good news is Jesus died for your sins in your place, and he was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead. Now, that's some news. Like, if that happened tomorrow, like, that's going to make the news. And my guess is this was a bit of news that for some people to believe. My guess is it's difficult for some of you to believe. And again, why not? Why wouldn't it be difficult to believe Nobody, none of you have ever seen a three-day dead guy come back to life. You've never went to a funeral and then three days ran into him at the Walmarts. Like, it just doesn't happen. That sounds crazy. And no doubt it would sound crazy to those who heard it the first time. Which is why Paul adds to it that he didn't just die. He wasn't just buried and he didn't just raise There's another part to the story that he appeared to Cephas and to the 12. That he appeared. He didn't just die, bury, resurrected, no, poof, and just disappear and say, oh, you got to take my word for it. He isn't there. That's not what happened. He appeared. He showed himself in the flesh. First off, this is another name for Peter. And think about that, that he showed himself to the person who doubted him, who denied him on the day that he was murdered. The one who said, I don't know him. Peter never expected to see Jesus alive again. How do we know? Because he wasn't standing outside the church saying, come on, Jesus. That's not what Peter was doing. He was holed up in a locked room, scared to death that the ones who killed Jesus were going to come and kill him. Like he wasn't expecting Jesus to come back, and yet Jesus shows himself to Peter, and it changed everything for him. His heart was transformed in an instant. He came out of hiding, Peter did, and he spent the rest of his life preaching this same message over and over again, that Jesus was dead and buried, but he resurrected, and he ascended into heaven, and Peter says, and I was a witness to all of you, Peter didn't care. He didn't care who heard it. He didn't care who saw it. He wasn't afraid. He got beaten and put in prison. He got, he got crucified upside down and he didn't care because w- what fear of death does anyone have who's seen a dead guy come back to life? Afraid. But, Peter, but, God, uh, but Jesus didn't just show himself to Peter. He showed himself to the rest of the apostles too. And not even just to the rest of the apostles. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living. Some Have fallen asleep. He's like, look, he didn't just show himself to Peter and the 12. He showed himself to hundreds of people, hundreds of them. This wasn't like some one-time hallucination where Peter got a little tipsy and saw Jesus. No, hundreds of people saw him. Hundreds of them story that just got fabricated and passed along year after year, and the the legend gets bigger and greater and grander. That's not what happened. When, When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, it was written 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus. That was it. 25 years. Remember Y2K? Raise them up. You remember Y2K? Yeah. Well, for those of you who can remember Y2K, that was 25 years ago. Yeah, that makes you feel old, don't it? <laughs> that was as much, that was as close to, to these people's life, close to their life as the Y2K was to yours. And so Paul says to them, look, there was a lot, hundreds of them. M- most of them are still alive. Like if you don't want, you don't believe me, you can go ask them. These, this just happened. They're still there. They can go tell you the stories. But again, you're maybe thinking, well, uh, let me give you one more. Um, this is my, maybe my favorite. Then he appeared to James. Every year I always say the same thing about James. This is the most remarkable of all of them to me. James was the brother of Jesus. You may remember that. I, for a moment, that they, they shared a bedroom, right? They sat at the same dinner table. They went to the same bathroom, okay? What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was God? (laughs) Right? Think about that for a second. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was God? You know what it took James to be convinced that his brother was God? You know what it took? It took seeing him dead and then buried and then rose from the dead. That's what After three days, he came back to life. Oh, if my brother was able to do that, I might have to reconsider. But nothing short of that, that's what made James become a follower of Jesus because he saw his dead brother come back to life. And then, last of all, he appeared to me, Paul says. So you look at all that first group and you think, well, all of those are friends and family of Jesus. Those are all fans and followers of Jesus. I can't believe them. They, all, they could all be lying. Maybe they're trying to pull the wool over our eyes. And Paul, believe them. Believe me. Because last of all, he appeared to me. And what you need to know about Paul is that he was not a fan of Jesus, he was not a follower of Jesus, he was not a disciple, he was not family. Paul's story is quite the opposite. He pursued Christians to put them, he put them in jail and in prison. He wanted nothing more than to stomp Jesus and all of his followers out. He was not a fan or a follower. So Paul says, if you don't believe them, believe me. And why is this news so important? Why is it to be of first importance? Here's why. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Nothing else in your life is going to save you. No one else in your life is going to save you. Nothing that you think is important now is going to matter. One There's nothing that's going to matter for the rest of eternity except that Jesus is of first importance. Not second, not third, not top ten, but first because that's the only thing that will save you. So what's next? What do we do with this information? Well, if, And you already believe all this. You know that Jesus is most important. Maybe you recognize today, though, I've not lived as if he's most important. And today for you, you need to repent. You need to repent, which means to change your behavior. It isn't enough for you just to walk out of here feeling, I feel bad because I know it's important, but I haven't lived that way. That isn't going to help. There has to be a change to whereby you live as if Jesus is most important. So what needs to change on your calendar for Jesus to be of first important? What needs to change in your spending? What needs to change in your family? What needs to change in your job? What needs to to make sure that Jesus is first? If you already understand all of this, then today you need to repent and put Jesus first. Not just by a feeling, but by your actions. Maybe there's some of you here and you've never made Jesus first. You've never seen him as important. Do. Well, then today is the day that you need to surrender to Jesus as your king of kings. That you submit to him. And how do you do that? Scripture says four things. You've got to believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. First, you've got to believe. You've got to believe that Jesus is Lord, that he is the in your place and for your sins, that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead and ascended back to the father and he's coming back. Do you believe that? Well, if you believe that, then you need to repent and say, God, I've been living my life as if I am the king. And today I want to live as if you are the king. And you surrender your life to him, every single bit of it. And then scripture says you need to confess, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Lord that you say it out loud in front of other people, that you make that confession with your own lips. And then lastly, Scripture says that we are to be baptized. I love the most about preaching Easter weekend every year is that we make this a baptism Sunday. Like, we always make this an opportunity because, because we don't want you just to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We want you it's the resurrection of your own. Did you know that was the invitation? That we don't just celebrate Jesus' resurrection, we get to experience, participate in it. In fact, Romans chapter six says it this way. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, we were baptized into his death or buried with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father, we too may have new life. Like through our baptism we actually get to participate in the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Through our baptism we die with him buried with him and just as Christ came up out of the grave to live a new life, we too are raised to new life in Jesus. Like, I don't want you just to celebrate Jesus' resurrection for the rest of your life. I want you, every time Easter rolls around, to celebrate the resurrection of your own. That's the invitation. And today, we want to give you a chance to do that. And maybe you're here and you say, well, I didn't come prepared to do that. That's okay. We prepared for you. We got shirts and we got shorts and we got underoos. We got all the stuff that you need to do that. You are without excuse. We got a baptistry right over here. there in PV. We've got one waiting for you after. There's nothing holding you back from celebrating your resurrection today through faith in Jesus. So right now we want to give you that chance. The band is going to sing. And I'm going to ask you right now, wherever you are, go ahead and stand right now. We're going to sing this song together. The decision, then I invite you to come. If you don't want to come by yourself, just grab the hand of the person next to you. They'll come whether they know you or not. And let's not just walk out of here today celebrating Jesus' resurrection. Let's walk out of here celebrating yours. Let's pray. For the chance to hear this good news again, to be reminded of what you have done in and through and for us. And my prayer today is that you would work in the hearts of your people, draw them to yourself. May we experience and celebrate the resurrection of your people that comes through It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you have just want to make today, I invite you to come right down here to the left. Come meet me down front.